welcome to the, the Get, Get, Get Together. Together. <laughs> I jumped in with it earlier. I was so excited. Woo! This is our show about how to bring communities to life that can bridge the gaps between us in a digital world. I'm your host, Bailey Richardson. I'm a partner at People & Company and a co-author of Get Together, How to Build a Community with Your People. Oh, I'm Kevin. I'm also here, Kevin Huynh. One of Bailey's co-hosts on this podcast, also a partner at People and Company. Yoo-hoo! Each episode, we interview everyday people who have built extraordinary communities about just how they did it. How did they get the first people to show up? How did they grow to hundreds, thousands more members? Today, we're talking to Lindsay Russell. Lindsay was one of the driving forces behind Facebook's growing investments in its exceptional group admins. Five years into Lindsay's time at Facebook, the company made a very big shift. Mark Zuckerberg announced to everyone that the product would have a new focus on building communities. Building communities. What does it mean? At the time, few people were focused, actually just in terms of resources, on Facebook's biggest tool for doing that, its groups. So Lindsay joined a ragtag small team, and she started her work by listening and learning from these power admins, the people who spent hours and hours every day of their lives running the super special, what they call life-changing groups on the platform. These folks hosted groups that talked about everything from infertility or miscarriages, gender politics in places everywhere from America to Nigeria to fun topics like dog spotting and how to decorate the doors of your cruise ships. Lindsay became the translator between these exceptional group admins who are driving so much activity on the platform and the product teams at Facebook Inc. And eventually, Lindsay and her team rolled out a whole slew of projects to connect these power admins to one another, creating a community between them, including their community summits, Facebook group just for these power admins and now of community leadership fellowship and residency. So Kev, you know, what did you think about our conversation with Lindsay today? I would like to answer your question with another question, which is what did you learn from your conversation with Lindsay? You know, what stood out to you? Mm. I loved sort of listening to you and Lindsay interact a bit because there's your experience at Facebook. And I feel like you got to ask some of the questions about how the conversation and focus on communities has changed from the time that, you know, you were working there to now. So Summing all that up and looking at our, our last little convo with Lindsay, what sticks out to you? I guess some added context for like the listeners who don't fully know, but I was on the Instagram team that got to work with the early community, the like iPhoneographers and the creatives who were using the product in like the very earliest days before there was even good search tools, no video, nothing like that. I was on the team before we got bought by Facebook. One of the predominant feelings that I had when we got to Facebook campus was sort of, I think, self-doubt of we had done all these things to cultivate a creative community on the platform and to highlight exceptional users, to be transparent with them, to support them. And I kind of felt like a lot of people at Facebook were like, ho, 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 like, you know, behind those people are numbers and the numbers are so powerful. And that is the truth. That is the source of truth. But it was sort of cathartic for me to hear like Facebook reach its own conclusions that were kind of similar to what we were doing at Instagram 
But they did it by going at the numbers first, by looking at the data, by looking at the trends, by looking at the signals and walking back from the numbers and seeing, oh, actually these really passionate people, special community members are are having an outsized impact on the platform, which is what we had seen at Instagram. And also like how much that eventually brought empathy into the company. And that just was not the case when when I was there, I didn't feel like it was the case when I was there. So to see that transition is is really rad. Yeah, I pulled some like maybe secondhand inspiration, like listening to Lindsay talk about cherry pick and select and hear about really amazing group admins and their stories and injecting those stories or bringing those people in and it back into Facebook and, you know, senior leadership being like, oh, very interested to check that out. The engineers sort of being rallied to work on that sort of stuff. And it, it was just cool to hear about that experience of being that bunge out into the world and having to translate and bring back some of these stories and how that could, though, affect a lot of people internally, both from like how they can do their job better, but also just being inspired about the work they do and the people they serve. Yeah. Facebook sort of had a culture of like winning and what Lindsay described was a culture of service. And I think the stories she brought in from people like Lola, who's been on our podcast, these different group admins that were changing lives, it changed like this whole culture of a product org and and maybe beyond by just bringing stories, bringing real people's stories in. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. I think for anyone working at any kind of tech company, there's a lot that you can pull out from Lindsay. And thank you to Lindsay for sharing everything that she learned and went through with us. Let's get into it. All right, Lindsay Russell, welcome to the podcast. You're an old friend of mine. We've we've reconvened in recent years, and I'm so stoked to pick your brain today on the podcast. Listeners, you're lucky this is going to be a good one. I want to kick off just to get to know you a little bit personally with your own story. You are a, I'm going to swear a little bit on the podcast, you're a <laughs> badass, smart, ambitious, driven, kind, soulful. You know, you worked at Facebook for a long time, but Before there, you were like in iBanking and went to Stanford Business School. And I'm just curious, like, tell me how you ended up working on Facebook groups specifically. How'd you get there? (laughs) First off, thank you so much for that interruption. That was amazing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I joined Facebook in 2012 um, after graduating from Stanford. Um, I spent a year on the business marketing team. And then I was one of the first employees um, of the brand new consumer brand marketing team. So I was on the brand team, but I was always really fascinated by the product marketing team like I thought they were very cool they worked on like product launches and Facebook such a product driven culture that um, I was really stoked when I got the chance to join the product marketing team in 2016 and I was working in another area of the business when a friend who was like a director of marketing overseeing groups she kind of hit me up and asked if I would be willing to temporarily help out on the group's team for like three months because they didn't have any people and they needed another set of hands. So I ended up joining and ended up staying on the group's team for three years. But back then, you know, groups was like a pretty sleepy part of the business. Like it had been around forever. There was not like a ton of awareness that there were these like huge, mega, amazing, active Facebook groups. Like I think we knew there was like potential to do more with Facebook groups, but it was definitely like underinvested in from a product and marketing perspective. So it's now a huge part of Facebook's company. It's a huge part of their like ad spend. It's a huge part of their product team, but there's a lot of like hundreds of people working on the product. Um, But can you say a little bit about like that switch to focus on it from it being a sleepy product? What drove that? Um, I mean, funnily enough, it really all came from Mark. I mean, I remember the 2016 elections that happened 
there was a ton of soul searching happening inside of Facebook. Um, and I remember Mark had gone away for the holidays and had written this kind of like long philosophical email to some of his like inside circle at Facebook about how he wanted Facebook to do more to help people come together and build community and be a force for positive impact in the world. And But it wasn't long before he actually published this note in February of 2017 called Building Global Community that really talked about kind of him laying out a thesis around wanting Facebook to be a force for positive change, helping people build supportive communities, you know, in a world where attendance and activity and a lot of like traditional sources of community, like churches and unions and bowling clubs, like is declining. That was sort of his vision that got put out in 2017. And like, it was immediately obvious that groups was the clearest like product proof point we had to respond to what he was saying. So that really kickstarted a lot of people at Facebook, like taking a fresh look at how people were using Facebook groups to connect and like a lot of investment followed. What were some of the first projects that you decided to put on your plate as someone who's just going to come over for three months and help out a little bit? Like what were some of the immediate first things that you knew had to be done? You know, the guiding light for all of this work was really this idea that great communities have great leaders. Like, groups don't work without a community leader on the scene. You know, I always say, like, every party needs a host, every team needs a coach. Like, it's no different online than it is in our real-world communities. And the group scene back then had just started to kind of focus on this. The group scene started to kind of put a team together to look into admins, and we started digging into the data and were shocked Facebook approach. Let's go. Yeah. What did you see in that data? What did you see? Tell me. It was like this big kind of surprise waiting for us to find it, which was that there was this sliver of groups that were like off the charts active, crazy levels of activity, super active admins, super active moderators. You know, there's millions of groups on Facebook. Anyone can start a group on Facebook, but there's only some of them that fit this particular pattern. And so we started calling these meaningful groups and we started thinking about like what it means for you as a person to be meaningfully connected to a group. And, you know, a lot of times when I talk with people about Facebook groups, they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. Like, I think I, like, I think I'm in a group. I don't know. Maybe it's a page. Like, I don't really know what it is. And I would just Mm -hmm. say the kind of groups that I'm talking about are groups that people literally say like they would die if they didn't have access to it. These are the kinds of groups that provide a sense of belonging that is like, There's nothing else like it really online, you know? There's so many groups on Facebook. There's parenting groups, there's hobby groups, there's military groups, there's professional groups, there's really fun groups. Like I think about a group back of the pack, which is for people who are slow runners and they don't want to feel excluded from the running community. Oftentimes they're like more on the elderly end of the spectrum and they want to run and it means a lot to them, but they're going to come in last and they know they're going to come in last. So there's a whole group dedicated to like cheering each other on. And sometimes they'll meet up at these marathons and take pictures of them finishing in last place together, hand in hand. There's really fun stuff like that. And then there's like really serious support groups. Like I think about a group like Mama Dragons, which is a group for mothers in the Mormon religion who often experience a crisis of faith when they have a child who comes out as gay. And this group's mission is to prevent LGBT Mormon suicide. Oh my it's God. It's like, there's just stuff like, you know, those support-based groups are really powerful. Like there's groups for veterans and healthcare and parents of kids with autism and caretakers of family members with spinal cord injuries and women dealing with infertility and miscarriage or mastectomy. Like, it's just really amazing how people come together. And if you have something in your life that's affecting you, when you tap into other people who have that same 
personal interest or experience in it, like you can connect in a really deep way. So yeah. people say all the time, like these kinds of groups, they're the only reason why I still have my Facebook account. So not everyone is in one, but if you are like, it quickly becomes the most important part of your Facebook experience. And also a really important part of your like real world support system. Once we kind of were able to get our hands around that, like it became pretty obvious that this was going to be a really big part of Facebook's future. And in fact, we even ended up changing the mission statement or Mark changed the mission statement to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Put a little star in that. <laughs> One of the most powerful companies in the world changes its mission statement, NDD. <laughs> I mean, there was just this huge sense that like, this is the right thing to do. This is something we have to do. We owe it to these people who are in these communities. I think you can definitely take the cynical approach and be like, oh, it's more engagement. We can run more ads against these people. But having been on the ground, I can tell you that that was not the vibe at all. Like it was very much a sense of like service that we owed these communities that existed on Facebook. I love to hear that. That word meaningful is interesting. It sounds like, well, so when you use the word meaningful, it's less of a measurement of like, is this meaningful to society, but really meaningful to the people that are involved? Is this something, as you said, that like they would, they would die if they, if they couldn't be able to participate in this? It's just such a meaningful part of their life. It definitely is not Facebook's assessment of whether that group is meaningful. It's actually what members self-report as their relationship with that community. You know, Facebook's very sophisticated in its measurement and polling and ability to kind of tease these signals from the noise. And I think it was very progressive what they did and really coming up with a very psychological view of what it means to be a part of a community, like on a tribal level. And then actually asking people who are in these kinds of groups, like, does this describe your experience in this group, yes or no? And so we were able to kind of get pretty good at understanding what groups were meaningful to people and which ones weren't. You know, we, Kevin and I have been talking to just like hundreds of different community organizers and in the place of having like the tools or teams or data to like analyze trends, uh, we've just kind of done pattern recognition ourselves to see these are the steps that we see leaders doing across the board. And the thing that's amazing about a scale like Facebook groups is that you can see a much clearer picture, like what the trends actually are about what makes a good group leader. What are some of the things that you guys saw are like really important for a Facebook group leader to have to be able to like run a group that's meaningful? Like what different roles do those people need to play? Like I said, there's so many different groups on Facebook and they're all really weird and cool and different from one another. Um, but what they all have in common is a really active and engaged community leader. And in the context of Facebook, that's the Facebook group admin and oftentimes the group moderators as well. The research team at Facebook is amazing. And they had done this really cool year-long study um, partnering with um, psychologists and academics and looking into what are the qualities of a meaningful group from like a sociological point of view. This became really a framework that helped us understand more about what kind of made these group admins ticks. What the research showed is that there's five kind of core qualities to a meaningful group. So I can go through them if that's not too wonky. <laughs> no, we love it. I was just like, yes. Um, <laughs> drool coming onto my microphone right now. Please go ahead. So the first is like identity. So meaningful groups always provide a real strong sense of identity. Like it's part of who you are. You identify with the people and the topic. 
There's a really strong element of usefulness. These groups fulfill a need. They're not fluff. They're not just kind of fun. Like it's a place that you turn to for support or for fun. So there's a really natural flow of activity and engagement. It's not forced. Like there's a pull. People really want to, there's something that people are getting from being a part of this that's useful in their life. There's a really strong sense that your voice matters. So you feel part of a larger conversation. There's a feeling that you belong, that you have a right to be there and share your opinion. And then there's often really elements of like a really distinct culture. I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen this with some of the communities that you've worked with, but idiosyncrasies, what's up? Tons of like group norms that are reinforced with traditions, shared language, rules, jokes, you know, hashtags, little sayings that may not make sense to people on the outside, but have a lot of like tribal meaning to the people who are in them. And I think about groups like dog spotting, like anyone who are either you guys in that group. No, but uh, I'm dog spotting all day long yeah, during COVID. Yeah, yeah, like it's a really epic group. <laughs> Jeff Wallen, who founded it, is incredible. Um, they've actually like done a New Yorker piece on all of the kind of like idiosyncrasies that are in dog spotting. But there's a whole language huh. that they've created around the activity of a dog spot. And there's just really funny kind of like turns of language that they do in that group that everyone knows and everyone uses. And people like celebrate and kind of reinforce with how they like and comment on posts. And then the fifth thing is really basically kind of the most important because it's table stakes, which is a sense of safety. So there has to be this sense of psychological safety that there's not going to be violence or there's not going to be a lot of kind of fear if you put yourself out there or speak up in some way that something scary is going to happen to you. And that's a lot of what admins do, actually, is kind of make sure that norms get enforced, rules get enforced, bad actors get removed so that there's that ongoing sense of safety. And then I would just tell you anecdotally, like from my observation, like a lot of these groups are really mission driven. So they're finding ways to bridge kind of their online activity into real world impact. And the real world piece of it tends to make the online group feel more serious and more meaningful and more real to members like wow people are really going to meet up in person and go do something together like that's kind of serious you know organizing a lot of mission-driven in-person activities is also kind of a hallmark of these groups and the community leader is the one who's kind of holding the space for all of this it's kind of organizing all of this so this stuff doesn't just happen by accident So we've interviewed Lola Omolola from Female in Nigeria, well now Female in. We've interviewed this woman named Dr. Gabemi Sola Boyede, who started a group called Ask the Pediatricians, which connects doctors with parents who don't have access to medical information or doctors. We also spoke to Libby Chamberlain, who started Pantsuit Nation, which is huge, obviously, in the U.S. And it's so interesting hearing you say that last point about the physical component. It's almost like Facebook groups can be an incubator for like a real world movement that someone wants to see where you're just like, hey, anyone out there, low lift prototype, anyone out there like also care about this. And then once they've collected lots of hand raisers, they're able to do so much with that. It doesn't just start and end on virtual communication. It naturally flows out into the real world. But I had never thought about it that it's almost like a very simple way to incubate kind of just like group power in a way and just see does anyone else care yeah, about this topic. There, there. And one of my favorite episodes that you guys have done is with Nikita from Chronicon. And she mentions that she started the first thing she did. She started a Facebook group and she had like a couple hundred people in it. 
she was like, wow, it's not about the number of people. It's about the depth of conversation mm -hmm. and connection that's happening. Like there's something here. Um, so we see that a lot for sure. And, you know, you also said earlier that uh, these these admins are the hosts at the dinner party. You need to have them. We overlapped at Facebook for a little while. And I think having worked at Instagram, we sort of had this sense that these outliers really drove a lot of engagement and content creation for other people. The creative folks that came up with interesting visual ideas, people would start to copy them and copy those hashtags. We saw that and sort of believed in this, these leaders are special model. I think Facebook historically has been more of a, what's the average user? And let's build for that average use case. So this switch with thinking about admins as the unlock for the product overall, this one type of person is a pretty big switch for a product team at Facebook to think that way. How did you go about building a bridge between the product team and these admins and getting the product team to understand those admins, understand their insights? And can you tell me about like that journey and where it took you at Facebook? By Facebook standards, the power admin audience is a small audience. Um, it's large for every other company, but for Facebook, it's, it's relatively small, but you know, they're really punching above their weight in terms of the impact that they're having on the platform. And so I think that that's what made people willing to go there. I do think there's such an interesting corollary to the incredible work that I know that you and the early folks at Instagram did around having this very keen kind of ability to tap into who was making culture on the platform and who was kind of where these like micro pockets of activity were happening. Um, but one of the first things that I tackled was actually super accidental, but it had a lot of impact on the team. And it's actually something that the team still does to this day. And it all started with Lola, who I know you have had on this podcast. Our girl, Lola. What's up, Lola? <laughs> um, so yeah, there was this <laughs> Facebook employee who had been emailing around to anyone who could listen about this incredible incredible group she was a member of called Female in Nigeria. And she was like emailing the PR team, emailing anyone she could think of to just be like, hey, someone needs to like have eyes on this group. Like this is insane what's happening. And it had been forwarded to a bunch of people and somehow it ended up in my inbox because I was like this random person working on stuff related to group admins. This is like super early days. There's like a team of like three people working on admins. I literally just cold emailed Lola and she wrote right back to me. I set up a phone call with her and she just came bursting out of the ether with a million like brilliant questions and ideas and problems and stories about her group. Like I almost couldn't even process it all. Like it was sort of, you do what? Like you have how many people in your group? We honestly did not realize that there were groups as large as hers using Facebook groups. And she was having so many technical issues because the product really wasn't well set up for to accommodate large groups back then. So I kind of absorbed all of this on this call and I like staggered back to my desk and I checked my email and already in my email, Lola had followed up with a PDF deck of her top 10 feature requests that we could build to make it easier. Oh my for God, the runner group, Like perfectly <laughs> formatted, crowdsourced from her team of moderators. Um, very serious. It's like, I've been waiting to share this with somebody. Exactly. She was like, <laughs> this is my one shot. Like she thought she had one shot to like, lob this over to Facebook and she had very specific requests that 
ended up being like basically a roadmap for what the team built. And like I said, the product needed a lot of love. Like it was buggy, it was bare bones. It really was not well set up to do what she needed it to do. Um, so I didn't know what to do, but I knew other people on the team just like had to know about this phone call I just had. Like someone else needed to know that like Lola existed. So I set up another meeting with her and I invited the engineers and the product managers. And so we pipe Lola into a conference room on VC on like crappy Wi-Fi connection. And I'm facilitating the meeting and I'm literally like, can you tell them what you told me? And we went through her top 10 list one by one. And it was such a moment of consciousness raising as a team and like radical empathy building for what terrible trouble these super users were going through trying to use groups to run these incredible communities. And the engineers, of course, were all fired up and wanted to help Lola. So after this, like the team really wanted to hear more from admins. So I partnered up with the research team and together we made up this thing called admin series where every week we would host pretty informal talk with a group admin. And this really got folded into the DNA of the group's team. Even engineers and product managers who sometimes are like less interested in having to deal with users a lot became like crazy passionate advocates for these group admins. The product team was super engaged all the way up to our director a product who was a big sponsor of this idea and like really encouraged the full team to attend. I kind of became this admin wrangler and I started flying some of these admins to Facebook's campus to host these meetings in person. Literally just Put them like on a plane, billing. baby. We have Froyo for you. <laughs> Yeah, just like build, put it on my car, <laughs> pick up an Uber, you know, like just get here. And because in person's, you know, much better than a VC call. Yeah. And totally. one day we were totally. in a different, unrelated meeting with Chris Cox, who was like our super dreamy head of product at Facebook. Oh yeah, and so he dreamy. found Hi, out Chris. about this <laughs> and was like, "Hey, like I should be meeting with these people too. This is really important, and I want to hear their story." So then I started facilitating meet and greets between Chris and these admins. Then he told Mark about it, and then Mark wanted to meet some of these admins too. So just based off of like a really simple format, like nothing fancy, yeah. we actually were able to like build a ton of love and empathy for these users all throughout the organization, all the way to the top. And it really helped people kind of all be on the same page about who we were building for. Like it was not an abstract idea, like it was very real. We knew faces, we knew names, we knew their struggle. And so it really created this sense of service to them that was like, in all the way to the top of Facebook. Just a, a detailed question. You said it was a very simple format. Like what would happen at a host admin event? I often tried to really see myself as a translator because a lot of times admins, you know, they're very intimidated to be meeting with Facebook and much less an executive at Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg. You know, it's like, that's a big deal for someone yeah. because yeah. these people are actually fairly pro Facebook. They have a very keen understanding that like they can't have their group without Facebook. Facebook enables their group to exist in the world. And so they're very, very sensitive to Facebook. And so it's a big deal for them to be talking to anyone from Facebook and they get nervous. And so I was sort of able to see them for who they were and what they were really doing. And I was able to be in the weeds in their groups. I would always join their groups 
So I'd be like creeping in their group and interacting and seeing what they were doing. And so I had a really good sense of who they were, what they were about. That allowed me to basically facilitate these meetings in a way that let them shine, basically. I could kind of keep them on track in a way that let them talk and in a way that felt like really representative of the community that they were building. But to answer your question, Kevin, it was really just pretty basic Q&A, like, you know, how did your group start? You know, what's something that you're proud of from your group? What's been like an incredible story from your group? What's your vision for what your group could be? If you had a feature request, what would it be? This idea of dog fooding is so big in tech. But with a company like a Facebook, it's such a big platform that even like me trying to use this platform as an employee to be savvy about it, you're seeing such a small amount of it. But I'm sure that must have like trickled a lot of these groups into the employees' lives at a much more regular cadence. Uh, A guy who was the first community manager at SoundCloud once told me that he had to act like a sponge. So he would go out into the world and soak up all of this water from all of these users and then squeeze it back into the company in like the right way at the right time. You sort of describe this as translating. So you take a really loud minority and they are deep users. They have a lot of opinions and you're this like bridge between them and engineers who are tasked with solving problems that affect millions of people. And that's a hard bridge to cross. And so I'm wondering what are some things that you looked for to create the spaces in between where a product person or an engineering mind could really get value from the stories and insights of a group admin? You are just like having to hear like everyone's problems and you can't solve all of them. So you have to... You can't change the system. There's no good fixes. And so it's like... You know, ultimately, it comes down to prioritization and road mapping, which is really hard. And I'm not in control of that. That's the product team's role in the company. The word that I kept coming back to in my time in this work was really about advocacy and being an advocate. What does it mean to be an advocate? Just continually trying to flood the system with as many voices and anecdotes as I could and trying different ways of sharing the feedback and prioritizing the feedback because we just had a tsunami of feedback that we got from power admins. There was no way that we could do everything that they wanted us to do or fix everything they wanted us to fix. It was really an ongoing conversation between us and the product team and the fact that we were in in the product team was really valuable because I don't think you can do any of this if you don't have a product team that's willing to listen to the end user. You've done so many things with group admins, not just like infiltrate insights into the product team or begin to have this series of meet and greets. You scaled their needs into actual programs that are run by Facebook teams. You get created structure around them. One of those things is you've had, there's been Facebook community summits where product teams have shared with admins. What you see with tech companies sharing with reporters, it became Facebook sharing with admins what's going on and having an open dialogue in person. You sparked the Facebook Community Leadership Program, which is a residency and fellowship that offers support and real funding to group admins who need it. And you also were the kind of spearhead for these Facebook Power Admins groups. And I want to jump into that a little bit. How did you come up with this idea to create the Facebook Power Admins and what was the value of doing that? When we first started, we had set up some focus groups in Chicago with a bunch of power admins. And power admins is a term that we came up with to describe group admins who are running these super meaningful groups. So 
on a day-to-day -day basis, they're like approving posts, they're approving new members, they're dealing with conflict, they're talking all day with like their team of moderators. If they have an external brand associated with the group, promoting the group to grow it to new members, they're organizing meetups or get-togethers. When we say power admin, it's not like a product term, it's kind of a term that we came up with to describe the type of community leader that's running these really meaningful groups. So we went out to Chicago in 2017 to just talk with some of them and figure out, learn more about them. We got into the focus group and at first it was really awkward because we had all these people together, they didn't know each other, and they had a really hard time identifying with one another. Like there was one person who was like, well, I run a dog group. And there was another person who said, why? Well, you know, I run a mommy group. And another person who says, well, I run a neighborhood watch group. And they'd say, well, I don't think I have anything in common with these people because our groups are different. But as the day went on and everyone kind of loosened up and started talking more to each other, they realized that they actually, even though their groups on the surface looked different, like they were there with their kind of actions and behaviors as an admin, they were all doing very similar things. They wanted to grow their group, they wanted to keep their members engaged, they wanted to keep it a safe space, they wanted to have like kind of a positive impact and a purpose with their members. Um, and by the end of this day, like the energy was so high because the admins were really connecting with each other. And, you know, it's a thankless task to be a group admin. Like it's lonely work. Oftentimes your friends and family don't understand why you're spending so much time on your phone. Like it's unpaid and it's tough. You know, admins will close a post and people will yell at them and call them a censor or call them a Nazi. They have to break up fights in the group. So, you know, for them, for admins to find other people who are like them, like it was like finding their own tribe. I don't think any of these people ever knew that there was another person who liked them out there. So it was really magical. We actually got kicked out of the research facility at nighttime because people didn't want to leave and we were hugging and taking photos. And I'll never forget this woman broke into tears and she said, this is the first time I felt seen. So we were like, okay, wow. we have to do this. And that kind of core insight, this insight, like, when you connect these types of power admins together, they have so much in common and so much to, that they can help each other with. That's really what led us to launch our first two major programs for community leaders, which was the Facebook Power Admins Group and the Facebook Community Summit. Amazing. So tell me about the Facebook Power Admins Group. You guys have all the insights in the world about how to run a good group. How did you get that thing off the ground? Who were the first people you invited and how'd you spark the conversation? Yeah, so the Facebook Power Admins Group, this was my baby when I was at Facebook. Spent a lot of time on it and had an amazing team um, that was also involved. Um, it gets a little bit meta. Like These are official groups run by the group's team for power admins to connect with each other for advice and support and with Facebook to get the latest product updates. It's like the Avengers are like on Facebook, you guys. <laughs> it really is. They're all it in really one is. place. But it all started really casually and very like ad hoc. Like we just thought like, well, these people are all like mega users of groups. So we'll just use a group to communicate with them and like try to connect them with each other. Like, And I distinctly remember thinking like the day before we launched the first group, I was like, wait a second. I was like, you guys want me to be the group admin for a group with all of the best yeah, group you're admins on, the firing on Facebook. Line. I was like, they're going to keep me alive. I was like, you're asking me to be like Khaleesi, Mother of Dragons. Like, I was like, this is insane. I mean, okay, I had never been the admin of a group before. Like, we had some ideas on how to identify these meaningful groups using data. So we had like a house promotional unit on Facebook that we used to invite people who were active power admins 
basically layman's terms, like kind of looked like yeah. an ad type mm-hmm. thing that was like, hey, we have this thing for like, you. We can send those Facebook. to people yeah, we exactly. recognize. Yeah. And the first one was just in the U.S. and I was the admin. So I was doing it in my spare time in addition to all of my product marketing responsibilities, kind of just as like a side thing. You know, right from the bat, off the bat, like I really always wanted to keep it very transparent. These are like really sophisticated users. These are really awesome people. Like no marketing spin, no press releases. Let's just be normal. Let's just be real people talking to one another. I always use a lot of emojis, GIFs, typos, like language of the internet. Like (laughs) people would give me stuff that we wanted to post into the group. I'd always rewrite it to make it sound kind of voice. And we call the Power Admins group PAG. Meaning like the comms team would give you things to put into the group? So we would do a lot of product announcements. So be like, hey, there's this new product. So there'd be product messaging that I would get. And we would still... So you were translating back. Not only were you taking the power admins and translating them to the product team, you were taking the product team and translating them to the power admins. Yeah, and that was something that (laughs) I always felt really strongly about because a lot of times with product messaging through no fault of anyone's, you can kind of end up talking to yourself a little bit or like it's very corporate speak. It's a little navel-gazing. And like, I just wanted to strip all of that out. It's like, dude, this is the problem we got you. Here's what we built. If you don't like it, tell us why. Boom. Just try to take like a lot of the kind of like artifice between we're Facebook and you're a user. Just like we're all together in this. It's that spirit of service too, I think that you're talking about, right? You're like, it's a different orientation than to customers or like someone you're going to conquer or something. Like these people are magical, you know? We use our real (laughs) profiles and obviously it's everyone else's real profile. So it's just very human. Like it's just very real. And right off the bat, we immediately saw like a ton of conversations and dialogue starting between these power admins just like we had in that focus group I told you about. People felt really excited to be invited to it, like to have access to a real life Facebook staff was really exciting. They were asking a ton of questions. I mean, we'd see posts with like hundreds of comments and it was amazing to see. It was just a super active group. And I just learned as we went and honestly, like everything I know about community management comes from watching and listening to these group admins. So like, I'd see how they did their rules in their group and then I'd try my own hand at it or I'd see how they dealt with issues and I'd deal with my issues and I'd mess up and they'd message me and tell me how I messed up. By the time the group got to about 8,000 members, like I couldn't do it solo anymore. There was just so much, so many conversations and so many comments and so many posts. So we hired our first community manager and eventually that US group, today it's around 20,000 members and we ended up launching four other groups. So we launched a group in the UK, Latium, Brazil, and Germany. And today I think there's around 50,000 members across those five groups. So Super like for stars. the members, the value prop is like, they get the latest product news from Facebook, they can test new features, and admins are super, sophisticated power users of Facebook generally. So they're very product focused. If you change a button or a setting, it's going to mess up their whole workflow. So like they're really stoked to hear any product update, no matter how small it might be. And it's a place for them to connect with other power admins for advice and support. Like, hey, this thing happened and like, I don't know what to do. And for Facebook, it quickly became this like huge source of product feedback for our product teams. Our product teams were all in those groups. They were active in them. They were constantly a topic of conversation and product meetings. Um, In terms of the content that we posted, we posted a ton of content. We posted multiple times a day, every day. It kind of fell into two 
two wow. pillars. One, we did a lot of education. So we educate on new products, new fixes, new best practices. And then we do a lot of stuff around engaging power admins with one another. So we do just like fun content. Mm. We'd go live or we'd share like behind the scenes photos or like do admin spotlights or like everything was tailored around the admin audience. It wasn't generic content at all. Like it was very specific to help people recognize what they had in common with each other and to really create this shared identity of what it meant to be a power admin. And what was really cool is that this group and all of the power admin groups themselves became meaningful groups, which made us power mm. admins ourselves. So Mission accomplished. Totally. So it like forced us to step up as community leaders and like, of course, just have even more empathy for for what these admins deal with because their product needs were our product needs. Like we all we had the same issues. With so many different types of groups, and I get that there was an effort to try to figure out what was in common. In your head, do you do you have a way to like think about the different types of admins and groups? You know, we didn't have like a lot of further segmentation within power admins. Certainly we saw some differences just in like personality and temperament like across different regions just cultural differences like when you create a group there's like a group type that you can choose for example someone running a buy sell group has kind of different needs than someone running like a health group there's like a ton of neighborhood groups for example or local groups on facebook we wanted to build a product that actually would work for any type of group. Admins are a really interesting audience for Facebook because they're kind of this hybrid audience. Like when you work in marketing or product, you're used to seeing the world in like consumer audiences, business audiences, developer audiences, influencer audiences, whatever. Admins, they're kind of this blend. I used to always say they're one part content creator because they're just like totally expressive and communicative. They're constantly posting graphics and going live and trying out new features, anything they can do to like communicate with their community. They're just like voracious content creators. They're one part influencer because they're kind of this micro celebrity, micro influencer within their world. People really care about what they say. They follow what they say. And then they're this kind of this uh, developer also, which is that they're super super users of the product. They know the product almost better than anyone. I want to ask about this summit that you guys put on. Why host a big in-person summit when you have all the software in the world to connect people? You are at the headquarters of it. You know, we're in this, we're all sitting at home right now. Like it's COVID-19 era. Like, but right now we're stuck in our houses. I'm just trying to get at like, what can't be well, can't you recreate without just actually putting people in the room? Like, why did yeah, you guys... I mean, there's really nothing that can replace the magic of a really well-done in-person event. I mean, pour one out for all of the events <laughs> supposed to happen in 2020. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, we had this idea for, like, it was first called Groups Con um, because we didn't Love know a what con. Else to call it. Love and, a con. Yeah, Group, like, Comic Con, Groups Con. Um, we ended up calling it the Facebook Community Summit because we knew we were going to have some like mega awesome new features for group admins and we wanted to do basically a launch event um, to really kickstart and signal our investment in community leadership on Facebook. So it was like, okay, we're going to do this event. Uh, you know, we were also kind of inspired by the groups that we were learning from, these really active groups on Facebook, which is that some of them are, are only online, but a lot of them, most of them are doing stuff in person too. So there, there just is this component to like 
unscalable in-person events that really adds a lot of depth to online communities. I know we'll go back to that one day and, you know, it's a shame that we are kind of on pause right now. But that's that's sort of why we wanted to do this event. I don't think it was any more complicated than that. So we've actually done three of them, by the way. We did one in Chicago in 2017, one in London in 2018, and one at Facebook Ah. HQ in 2019. And the first one in Chicago, you know, it's a two-day event. There, By the way, there was like a huge, amazing team working on this. So I'm speaking on behalf of all of them. Organized um, by me only. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but like Facebook hosts a lot of events. Um, but we wanted it to be very bespoke to this community leader audience. So we opened up applications, asked people to tell us about the community that they run. The first event was just open to group admins. Now we have a more expansive definition of community leaders. So the 2019 Facebook Community Summit, for example, was open to like anyone who was leading a community using any Facebook product. So it could be an event organizer. It could be a small business owner that's using a Facebook page. It could be a WhatsApp group chat thread owner. It could be an Instagram account. But the first one was only Facebook group admins. So we got over 3000 applications. We ended up picking a hundred of them and we let every group bring two people to come so we had 300 people total like they all had to be from the group so people would bring their moderators or super active members or whatever um it was the first time they had met in person despite talking online for years so like you know it just made it really extra special and mark gave this incredible keynote which ended up being a really pivotal moment for Facebook because he announced this new mission statement that was all about building community. And then Chris Cox got up on stage and revealed these new products that the team had built and people absolutely lost their minds. I mean, it was like nothing that anyone had seen before. I mean, Chris announced scheduled posts and people screamed, like just just like a guttural animal like scream. It's so much so that he like took a step back on stage and he was so taken aback. Um, so people were super amped on the products. Um, <laughs> then we had like a series of workshops and, you know, Facebook has a gangster events team. So it was just gorgeous. The whole event was amazing. We had this beautiful wall that spelled out the word together in flowers that everyone took photos in front of. Oh, let's take notes. We can do that next. Yeah. <laughs> um, highly recommended together flower wall. Um, you know, you guys know from running events, like there's a million decisions, big and small that you make, but then like halfway through day one, we all like stopped and looked at each other. We were all running around and we were like, holy shit, like this is amazing because people were really connecting with one another. It was just this explosion of heartfelt connection. And it was so validating for these people who consider this their life's work. Um, We had a ton of press there. So people got to tell their stories to different press outlets. And now it's this flagship event. And I think what makes it different is it's not like a bunch of talking heads on stage saying like, this is what to do. This is how to do it. And like, you know, we know best. We're very crystal clear and humble about the fact that the community leaders are the ones building community, not Facebook. And they've been doing it long before we ever got on the scene. So we have more to learn from them than they do from us. And actually the most important thing is for them to learn from each other. It's basically like a giant festival. It's all about celebrating them. I mean, these are people who embody the mission, embody what a lot of people are working towards. 
Um, and then you get a moderation tool, and you get a moderation tool, and you get a moderation tool. I mean, it's not far from the vibe. Like, it's very like, how can we like just roll out the red carpet? Oh, that's um, awesome. You know, and execs come, and lots of Facebook staff is there, and. Um, then after the event is over, they're all in an alumni group, so they all kind of have this as an ongoing source of support long after the two days are over, and those groups are also really active. Um, so yeah, it's been an amazing thing to be a part of. I just think like we interviewed this guy who was the head of the Star Wars fan club, and Star Wars started to do their big fan meetup, which is huge, just before they started remaking movies again. And it was a launch tactic. It was like, if we want to get our biggest fans amped about the fact that a new movie is coming up, the best way to do that is get everybody together in person wearing costumes, geeking out. If Chris Cox had written a post that was like, well, we have today, like announcing scheduled posts. I'm sure people would be like, you know, secret fish shake standing, sitting at their computer, but there wouldn't be like an audience with a guttural roar. And there's like a way that we can amplify each other, I think by physically seeing each other's reactions and facial experiences and that sensory experience that the ceiling for that enthusiasm creation is just, I think, a lot higher in person. The internet hasn't really been able to replicate that in the same way. We, like, from the Facebook group staff perspective, we were, like, shooketh. Like, we were like, this is, like, we got to keep the pot from boiling over here. (laughs) Wait till we see what comes after scheduled posts. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we, it was almost like a security thing. Like, they can't, like, bum the stage. Like, we got to, like, keep in the seats. Oh, my God. So it was really just a really raucous, joyous occasion. And everyone just made so many amazing connections. And a lot of those people that I met there, I still, like, am super connected with. So it's like, oh, my God, you're Barb. You run Carnival Cruise, decorate your doors. Like, I know your story. (laughs) I love your story. Give me a hug. Barb and her husband, Jim, run this group that's dedicated to people who, like, love to cruise and love to decorate their doors. They get all artsy-craftsy, and there's a whole story behind it. And it's actually, it's become such a trend in the cruise industry that, like, industry has come out with, like, decorate your door guidelines based on Barb's rules. Like it's like a whole thing. Oh my God. They came decked in like head to toe, like matching suits and they had swag of their little mascot. They're having fun in this life. Yeah, so it's like hugs and like it's very personal. It's very, um, it's very human the work. When I first got to Facebook in like 2012, I think within a year or two years, the company first started using community, like at the all hands and the all hands strategy. And I I felt like in 2012, the word was getting used maybe more as a euphemism for like our entire user base is our community. And it felt like just sort of a trendy word to use. And so Facebook had adopted it. I'm wondering like how that word community or the understanding of what a community is changed in the consciousness of Facebook employees or Facebook's leadership in that time of really investing in groups. Um, it did really shift. The work around the group admins, it just made it so real. It made it so tangible. There was just this infusion of user empathy into the product orgs and our exec teams. I mean, the mission statement changed. I mean, there are whole teams at Facebook now that are dedicated to community products, community partnerships. But I can tell you that in this phase and what it is today for Facebook, it's super real, super intense. I mean, Kevin, you always say you can't fake the funk. 
And I think that's really true because of these stories that we would hear of how people's lives were changed by being a member of these groups. You know, I think about a group, Girls Love Travel. That's a group dedicated to solo female travel all around the world. And there's like a story that the founder had told me about someone who was in Thailand traveling alone. She had a medical issue. She had to have emergency surgery. She woke up in the hospital and two members of the group were by her bedside. So she wasn't alone. Wow. Like I think about like the military mama network. That's a group that's dedicated to supporting our troops, our vets, our families. And it's run by an amazing admin named Jerry Ann. And like if something happens in that network, if someone is killed in action or if there's a suicide or if there's a family who's in financial hardship and they can't afford to get Christmas gifts for their kids, their first call is to Jerry Ann. Like it's just very real. And you know, the product is a big piece of what is enabling that. I'm a big believer that you can have as many marketing ideas as you want, but there's so much power and impact you can have by building products that scale across all of these use cases. Facebook's a really big, gnarly, complicated machine with like lots of moving parts and people have lots of ethical concerns and questions and feel a certain kind of way about Facebook. And like, I get it as an employee, we all have those same questions too. But for me, having done this work, I will always believe that Facebook, it's a force for good in the world because I've just seen it with my own eyes. And like, these groups would not exist extent that they do without the reach and the tools that Facebook provides. I think that it, it means something today that it hasn't meant before, but it's a shame that community is such a buzzword because it can mean a lot of different things to different people. When we go into an organization, company that is starting an investment in a community, they have a hunch they might be able to foster a community. We make them write down names for any possible like who category of people that they want to invest in. If you can't write down five names right now for any of these groups of real people who are already in your world, then you may not have any there there. Like this is not sufficiently real, sufficiently tangible. And I think one thing that's been so rad through this interview is how many names and how many stories did you just pull out of like your head? You know, it's like the Harry Potter one, just pulling it out of your temple. Ooh, the pen, the pensive, sorry. That pensive. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. The pensive. And I think that that, that's the test, you know, and it, it can, it, those people, those really passionate people can affect many, many, many more people. And that's the community strategy and what makes it so interesting, especially with digital products. But I think you have to be able to make it real. One is, um, you know, we did a lot to tell these stories externally, but these stories are also really capable of influencing people internally. You know, we had gotten a new CMO at Facebook. He'd organized this like big fancy all hands for the whole marketing department. All staff flowed in from all around the world. And at the last minute, they asked if I could like arrange a Q&A on stage with a group admin. So I called Lola, I asked her if she could fly out like the next day, she like, got on a plane. She and I were like so nervous. We were like prepping what we were gonna say and we got on stage and we did our thing. We told the story of Finn. I asked her questions, she told her story. And I didn't really know how it was gonna go because sometimes these things are kind of a snooze fest, but like you could hear a pin drop in this room of hundreds of people. And when we finished, we got this huge standing ovation and people were crying. I mean, Facebook marketing staff, she is they Lady were Gaga. tears in their eyes. They mobbed us. Lola was Lady Gaga. Like it was insane. And people said that they were so incredibly moved by her story and so proud to work for a place that enabled her to do the work that she was doing. The, the stories are really powerful. And I think that that 
that that was a big piece of the work is that it was very front and center. And for me, it was a real privilege to be their advocate in some ways, uh, along with many other people, um, and get to kind of tell their stories. I love that. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Lindsay, thank you so thank much. You, thank you, thank you. If you want to connect with Lindsay, you can reach her on Facebook and see if she'll add you as a friend. Her profile is facebook.com slash lindruss, L-I-N-D-R-U-S-S. She's also on Twitter. Her handle is lindruss, same thing, L-I-N-D-R-U-S-S. Hey, Bailey, if you had to start a Facebook group, <laughs> a Facebook community today, like actually today, like within, within the next 45 minutes, what sort of group would you start? Oh, easy, baby. Uh, I easy. have recently adopted two baby chicks, um, Yeji oh. and Sunny. My entire camera roll is full of photos of them, and I also need, need advice. Upgrade like, space. I need oh. advice, yeah. I need like a place to dump my photos, and I also need to know, is one of them a rooster? One of them's pretty like aggressive and starting to show signs of yeah. that. I'm kind of nervous there's a rooster. They're able to jump out of their like little container that they sleep in now by their wing power. And like, does that mean I need a bigger container? Like, I have some questions for people. So it would be like all baby chicks all the time. Like, I'm yes. not talking about adult stage chickens. Like, I want like growing chickens. That's, that's my Facebook yes. group. Yeah. That's wonderful. What about you, Kev? Oh, probably like a, maybe like a quarantine kitchen sort of zone. Mm-hmm. Yes, just, yes, yes. Like yes. I've always cooked a good amount, and then but now it's like at another level, mm-hmm. and I, I really enjoy it. Um, and it, you know, it's a privilege to be able to be at home with my partner, cook delicious foods, and like really lean into that. So I, I think it might be a group where you own, you post the foods, and maybe there's like some weird rules around you could. Like the captions or comments are like extremely limited or you just answer one question or all you do is just like put the name of it and the date, you know, how delicious it was or like three adjectives to describe it. Something a little bit artful. But yeah, that's it. Quarantine. The photo from the kitchen. recipe and the photo of your actual food <laughs> must both no, be it's, posted. It, no, it's, yes. a photo, it's a photo of the food that's cooked and then the photo of your empty plate. It's just always like that. It's just oh, know, yes. before and after. There Ka-ching! it is. There it is. Hey, if you want to find out more about us, people and company... You can head over to our website, peopleand.company, not a dot .com, but a dot .company. Dot .company. Um, also, our book, Get Together, is available on Amazon. Um, you can find it at gettogetherbook.com or just search Get Together. It's full of stories and learnings from conversations like this with um, community leaders like Lindsay. And uh, please yeah, check it out. Oh, and last thing, if you don't mind uh, reviewing this podcast and or clicking subscribe, it really helps us show up for other people in the podcast store who might want to hear stories like Lindsay's. That would be great. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Bye.